when people think about wars that were fought on American soil, uh, they probably just think mostly about the Civil War, probably the War of 1812, maybe the Mexican, you know, Mexican-American War, uh, the Revolutionary War, stuff like that. Um, but there are actually quite a few more smaller wars that were fought on American soil, and we're going to learn about them because they're pretty stupid. It's our weird world. Our weird world. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, as always. I don't know why it would be anyone else. That would be kind of weird if just all of a sudden someone else just started an episode one day. I don't know. Anyway, um, (laughs) this week we are starting a two-part series on some wacky wars that were fought. Uh, Next week we're going to talk about some foreign conflicts. Um, God knows there's a ton to choose from. But uh, this week we are focusing on American wars that were pretty silly. Uh, We're going to start with the Walton War, and then we'll talk about the Toledo War, the Honey War, and the Pig War. Uh, I am already sick of saying the word war, but it's going to come up again, I'm sure. So let's jump into story time. Story time. So shortly after the Revolutionary War, the federal government started to encourage, you know, the, the early states to cede land between the Mississippi River and the Appalachian Mountains to the government as part of a treaty with the Cherokees to repay them for their help during the Revolutionary War. And as part of the agreement, South Carolina decided to give up a 12-mile strip of land, uh, which is now part of modern-day Transylvania County in North Carolina that they weren't using. When the government went in to check it out, they quickly saw why South Carolina had gladly given it away. Um, because this little part of land was isolated and had always been inhabited by the Cherokees, uh, early settlers and government officials never really stayed long when they passed through. And so because of that, the area had pretty much become like this lawless refuge for criminals and more aggressive Native Americans. Um, to give you an idea as to how bad it was, when the federal government actually offered the land to the Cherokees, the the Cherokees actually just gave it back. Like they went in to check it out and then they were just like, eh, no, you know what? You guys can keep it. All right. It's fine. Um, is Oklahoma still an option? Like, we'll just go take that. Like you don't even have to transport us. We'll just start walking like that. We don't want that. That's bad. Um, you know what? They probably didn't actually say that, but they really didn't want this land. Um, after the Yazoo land scandal in the 1790s, in which Georgia illegally sold land in what is now Alabama and Mississippi to political insiders at much lower prices, uh, the federal government, along with forcing Georgia to give up its western lands, uh, made Georgia actually take the unwanted Cherokee land as punishment. <laughs> like, that's that's how you know it was really bad. It's just like, all right, look, you illegally sold portions of land to you know basically like insider trading and so as punishment you're just going to give up all that land but we're also going to make you take this little strip of land that nobody wants and you're just going to deal with it um 
By now, the area was named the Orphan Strip uh, because, I mean, literally no one wanted it. But rather than whining about it, Georgia went in and basically gentrified the place. Uh, They established a government and named it Walton County in honor of the Georgia senator who had been one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Um, But the problem by now was that the settlers who had been brave enough to move into the Orphan Strip in recent months had received land grants from both North and South Carolina because, you know, communication just didn't really exist. And so both states just thought that they owned it. Um, and so the, the new claim by Georgia left everyone confused and, and wanting some actual legitimate protection. South Carolina gave the land grants out because they were the original owners of the orphan strip and North Carolina issued land grants because the land was on their border and they just assumed it was theirs anyway, you know, because I mean, who would take the time to verify that sort of thing? Um, so when Georgia went in and established Walton County, those with land grants from South Carolina gladly stood down and recognized the Georgian government because, you know, people from South Carolina just suck. Like they're the worst. And I'm not even like, that's not even really a joke. I'm not doing a bit right now. Like people from South Carolina, they're not great. Like there's a lot of, a lot of soft people in South Carolina, gross dirt foot, just toothless yokels rummaging around, you know, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, um, on the other hand, though, uh, those with land grants from North Carolina refused to recognize the Walton County government and instead claimed the jurisdiction of nearby Buncombe County. And everything was kind of okay until it all hit the fan in 1804 when Georgia went in to collect the first round of taxes. As expected, loyalists to North Carolina refused to pay the taxes, which resulted in this, like, a couple of like a team style battles at Magaha branch in Selica Hill where, you know, several shots were fired. I've made this analogy before, but like several shots were fired at very close range stuff exploded, but no one actually died. It was crazy. Um, the conflict's only official casualty came on December 14th, 1804 when North Carolina constable John Havner was just bonked over the head with a musket by Samuel McAdams. And upon hearing the news of Havner's death, the Buncombe County government sent a detachment of 72 militiamen down to the orphan strip where they arrested 10 Walton County officials for Havner's death. Those prisoners were taken to Morganton, which was a town, you know, in the foothills, you know, kind of down, um, you know, if you're coming down off the mountain from Asheville, like on Interstate 40, it's like right there. Um, but they were taken to Morganton uh, to be tried, but all 10 officials escaped and fled back to Georgia before their trials began. And another problem was because Walton County was isolated from the rest of Georgia, uh, the Georgian government was never really able to send in their own soldiers to retaliate before the North Carolina militiamen returned to Buncombe County. And so for the next two years, neither governor from Georgia or North Carolina could agree on a boundary line of where their states were. Um, In 1807, they did decide to form a joint commission to survey the land, and each governor chose the president of their state university to lead the study. Both university presidents agreed that, in in a shocking turn, uh, that the orphan strip actually belonged to North Carolina, obviously ignoring the fact that it originally belonged to South Carolina before they gave it to the federal government, who then gave it to Georgia. Like the, the federal government, if they had just asked the federal government, the government would have been like, Oh no, it's Georgia's. Yeah, it's definitely Georgia's. If anything, it may be South Carolina's, but it's never in the history of ever belonged to North Carolina, but whatever. Uh, 
the the Georgia government ignored the commission's agreement and then continued to just govern the area. In response, uh, North Carolina granted amnesty to everyone who had supported Walton County. And in 1811, Georgia then hired Andrew Ellicott, a Georgia resident, to survey the boundary in an attempt to prove that the area belonged to Georgia. Well, that plan backfired when Ellicott confirmed the president's agreement and made the official border on the east bank of the Chattooga River by carving NG into a rock. Uh, that rock or that mark can actually still be seen today uh, along the Chattooga River Trail. Uh and is actually not even close to where the disputed land was. I mean, it's probably a good 45 minute to an hour drive away. <laughs> like that's how far off this was. Um, yes, yeah, it's about 40 miles away from where the disputed land was. Um, even though North Carolina officially took over the land after Ellicott survey, Georgia did not officially admit defeat, even after creating a new Walton County in the central part of the state in 1818. Uh, eventually, this conflict known as the Walton War was forgotten and everybody just kind of put this silly little chapter of American history to rest. Um, except not really, because 160 years later, uh, in 1971, Georgia commissioned a bill to resurvey the land because they were still butthurt over this and rightfully so, um, you know, and they still believed that they were the rightful owners. And upon hearing of Georgia's potential invasion, North Carolina decided to mobilize a militia just in case they had to go back down to Transylvania County to defend the land that was never even there officially to begin with. Um, however, that bill died in committee and was never brought up again. So crazy. Uh, next war here is uh, the Toledo War. So. Uh, this happened around the 1830s where America was just kind of steadily growing and kind of in that phase where every disagreement over every little thing just turned into an all-out brawl no matter how ridiculous it was. So in 1833, the Michigan Territory applied for statehood after having met the minimum population requirement of 60,000 residents. The people of Michigan then were a bit shocked when Congress rejected their request, and then they were even more shocked to learn that the reason it was rejected was because Ohio had raised concerns about Michigan's claim to a narrow strip of land containing, of all things, the port city of Toledo. Ohio Governor Robert Lucas uh, then took matters into his own hands by setting up county governments in the Toledo Strip and revived a bill that set the Ohio state border at the Harris Line, which was a previously rejected ordinance line that placed Ohio's border farther north than it currently stood. Michigan's governor, 24-year-old Stevens T. Mason, responded by passing the Pains and Penalties Act, which made it a criminal offense for anyone from Ohio to carry out governmental actions in the Toledo Strip. Like, that's just dumb. All right. That's like, you know, it's like the North Carolina governor, like writing up a bill saying like no one from South Carolina can come work in North Carolina. Like that's just not, it's not plausible. And it's just, you know, it's a really dumb thing to do. Uh, but to make sure that everyone knew he was uh, serious, Governor Mason organized a militia of a thousand men and sent them down to the Toledo Strip. Ohio responded with 600 militiamen of their own. Uh, President Andrew Jackson, in an attempt to save the country over fighting over Toledo, like that, I mean, that sounds ridiculous. It's like fighting over Cleveland, like Toledo and Cleveland, very similar cities, just, you know, don't have the best reputation. Although I like Cleveland, like Cleveland's actually a pretty nice place. I haven't been to Toledo, 
haven't heard a lot of good things. Um, but Andrew Jackson, you know, took a break from his gambling and his cockfighting, and that's real, I'm not being a dick, uh, to organize a new survey that would recognize the Harris line but still allow residents in the Toledo Strip to choose whichever government they wanted to recognize until Congress arrived at an official decision. Governor Lucas uh, in Ohio reluctantly agreed and disbanded the Ohio militia. However, when Ohio elections were held in the Toledo Strip three days later, Michigan lost their mind over it and they prepared for an all-out war. Once those elections were over, uh, Ohio Governor uh, Lucas sent out another survey team to mark the boundary in Ohio's favor. And on April 26, 1835, the survey team was actually attacked by 60 members of the Michigan militia. And this scene, you know, again, unfolded like a weird LAPD shootout where everyone was just firing shots at point blank range, but no one was ever hit. All right. Um, Nine members, however, of the survey team were taken prisoner. When Governor Lucas heard about the attack, he passed several laws establishing Toledo as the county seat, uh, preventing the removal from Ohioans in the area. He also passed a $300,000 budget to implement new legislation in the area, and in response, Michigan pledged $315,000 to its militia alone to go fight back against Ohio. Ohio then responded to that news by raising 10,000 volunteers to fight, again, over the city of Toledo. All right. Um, by the time word got back to Michigan that Ohio had raised an army, that number had inflated from 10,000 to 1 million because people couldn't keep things factual and Michigan newspapers, you know, like there was no, there's no way there was a, a million militiamen. There wasn't even a million people probably in the state of Ohio at the time. Maybe there was, I don't know, but it probably would have been like most of Ohio if that was the case. Um, Michigan newspapers also invited all Ohioans to find quote hospitable graves inside the Toledo strip. Like it's getting real. Um, by August of 1835, President Jackson removed Mason as Michigan's governor and appointed Jack Horner. And in the reasonable th- way Michiganders tend to respond to things, as we have seen from you know recent events, um, they burned effigies of Horner and pelted him with vegetables upon his entry into the territorial capital. Uh, and when Michigan held their elections two months later, Horner was voted out and Mason was then reelected. So it was totally pointless. Uh, Finally, on June 15th, 1836, President Jackson granted Michigan statehood on the sole condition that they cede the Toledo Strip to Ohio in exchange for the rest of the Upper Peninsula, which is that, you know, weird extra part that's like not connected to the Gulf part of Michigan, but really looks like it should belong to Wisconsin. Um, And since Toledo was but here's the thing because toledo like the city of toledo was worth more to michigan than this vast wilderness of trees michigan rejected the offer but unfortunately uh a few months later michigan found itself in a financial crisis thanks to all of the funds that they had appropriated to their militia to fight against ohio which just goes to show they've always been bad with money up there Um, additionally, the federal government had a surplus of $400,000 that they were preparing to distribute to the 25 states. And since territories were not eligible to receive that money, Michigan decided to bend over and on December 14th, accepted Congress's terms to become the 26th state a month later, basically just so they could get bailed out by the government. So, you know, whatever's happening in Michigan is, has always been happening. We probably should have never let them become a state. Just give them to Canada or something. Um, all right. The next war here is the Honey War. Uh, so in 1816, surveyor John Sullivan was tasked with setting a line for 100 miles in the middle of the country uh, to the Des Moines River. And this 100-mile line eventually ended at the Des Moines Rapids south of Fort Madison, Iowa. 
He set up markers along the line, which established the northwestern corner of Missouri near Sheridan, all the way across to Farmington, Iowa. However, uh, there was a problem because there was already a border that had been established by various treaties with native tribes over the previous decade that served as the official border between the Ohio and Missouri territories. When uh, Missouri officially applied for statehood two years later, several proposals for the state's boundaries were already submitted. Um, Lawmakers had some concerns about the size of the state of Missouri, considering it was already going to be the largest one in the region, and they didn't really want to make it any bigger, especially since it had major implications around slavery. Sullivan was called back in to make a final decision, which ultimately just made everything more confusing. So, in 1837, the Missouri General Assembly ordered another survey in hopes of making itself bigger. Wisconsin, who had been thrown into this issue for some reason, refused to participate, so Missouri ordered uh, a guy named J.C. Brown to do it. Brown went off and ignored the traditional meaning of what the Des Moines Rapids were and found his own set of rapids nearly 10 miles deeper into the Iowa Territory. Iowa, of course, was just not okay with someone randomly claiming more land for Missouri. And to make things worse, Iowa insisted that the actual border was 15 miles south into the, like 15 miles farther south from the original line into the Missouri Territory. So now there's like this whole 25 mile dispute, you know, both ways. Um, when tax agents from Missouri entered the territory to make their collections, uh, an ornery group of Iowans gathered their pitchforks, swords, and uh, sausage stuffers, you know, because I look, Iowa, man, like that's all they've got down there, uh, and prevented the tax collectors from doing their job. And without any real way to fight back, the tax collectors chopped down three trees with honeybee nests in them, and they took the honey as partial payment. Um, and that is why this was ended up calling, you know, ended up being called the honey war. Um, governors from both states petitioned Congress who, uh, came in and drew an arbitrary line somewhat in the middle between the two disputed borders, which is now how we have, you know, where that line between Missouri and Iowa comes from. The final war, uh, took place in modern day kind of Washington state, um, and had to deal with the border between the United States and Canada up in the Pacific Northwest, which lies in the Strait of Juan de Fuca. And the problem for many years was that neither the British nor the Americans knew where the border exactly was within the Strait, specifically as it related to the San Juan Islands, which sat directly in the middle of the Strait. The islands were claimed by both the British and the Americans, and since it took several months for word to travel back and forth between the Northwest and everyone on the East Coast, the issue generally went overlooked until 1859. That year, about 25 American settlers, assuming they were the first ones to arrive and could start a new life, landed on one of the San Juan Islands. But they quickly realized that not only were the British already there, but the Hudson Bay Company had actually turned that island into a giant free-range sheep ranch. On June 15th, Lyman Cutler, one of the American settlers, woke up to find a pig tearing through his garden, and of course he shot it. Like, what else was he going to do? Well, Charles Griffin, an Irishman and employee of the Hudson Bay Company, who uh, was the one who actually owned the pig and was furious over its death. And Cutler, being a nice American, offered Griffin $10 to replace the pig, but Griffin rejected the offer and demanded $100 instead. Griffin then called the British authorities, who tried to arrest Cutler, but since Cutler was an American, he then called for federal military aid. And within two months, 461 Americans with 14 cannons were occupying the islands while five British warships and over 2,000 men watched from, you know, the distance. Um, Although the British were ordered to storm the island and remove the Americans, both sides told their men only to fire if they were shot at first. And actually, somehow, everyone listened, and it didn't really escalate. 
Um, a month later, both sides kind of just got bored staring at each other, waiting for someone to shoot, and they agreed on a joint occupation of the island. And for the next 12 years, rotating parties of 100 men on each side shared the island in peace, which, I mean, that sounds like the most Seattle thing ever. And, you know, it actually proves that you can work together with your enemy. And so, you know, even though it was called a pig war, it was really just a giant standoff and, and there was nothing, you know, really to it. And so that finally takes us to the end of our stories. Ooh, there we go. Uh, quite a few dumb little wars um, that, you know, did they need to happen? Probably not, but there you go. Let's, uh, let's see what we learned from this silly little history lesson. What did we learn? Number one, uh, North Carolina uh, was given uh, some territory that they never owned in the first place. South Carolina had it, and then they gave it to the government, who gave it to the Cherokees, who gave it back to the government, who forced Georgia to take it, who actually really wanted it, and then come to find out that everyone just decided it was going to belong to North Carolina. Anyway, anyway, that's weird. Uh, Number two... Uh, the border between Iowa and Missouri was drawn because the government got tired of the two states arguing over it and trying to decide what was a rapid, what wasn't, what one guy's border said versus another one. And the government was just like, all right, guys, here, it's this and just deal with it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, number three, um, why did people care about Toledo so much? Like, I don't like I can kind of possibly understand why Michigan may have wanted it because it gave them a port city that, you know, on, on Lake Erie or is it Lake Ontario? One of those lakes. I don't know. I could look at a map right now, but I'm not going to, you know, versus, you know, Michigan's ports that are kind of sandwiched in in other less than desirable places on the great lakes. I don't know, but really, you know, I have never heard anything good about Toledo, and I really, you know, don't know that it was a city worth fighting over. Next week on Our Weird World, we're going to continue our Wacky Wars series with some foreign conflicts. Um, If you thought these were dumb, next week's are going to be pretty dumb as well, maybe even dumber. So thank you all for listening. Tell all your friends and keep it weird.